1: He gave up what he had in the kingdom. He gave up what he had in eternity. He gave up what he had in heaven so that he could come as a man. He came as a baby. He had to wear diapers. He had to be changed. He had to be bathed. He had to be fed. He gave up that secure position in heaven to come as a baby so that he could redeem mankind. He gave up a portion of what he deserved. He gave it over freely. Now, this goes against the capitalistic mindset of America, right? Capitalism says you make the most, you do the most, and you look out for number one. And there's, there's nothing wrong with capitalism if it's focused in the right areas. If it's selfishness, if it's for pride's sake, then it's wrong. But if you're trying to do what you can, to earn what you can, to raise what you can, so that you can be a blessing to God in the kingdom, then amen, go for it. But listen to this. Jesus gave of himself. He gave something up. He gave a portion of his liberty. He gave a portion of what he deserved so that he could come and redeem you. In 1 Corinthians, there was a problem happening. And there were people that were eating meat sacrificed to idols. And it was stumbling their brothers in Christ. They kept eating it. They kept eating it. They kept eating it. And Paul says this. He says, you might have the liberty to eat that meat, but you cannot use that liberty to stumble your brother in Christ. If it's stumbling the person next to you, stop eating the meat. You understand what I'm saying? He's saying give up a portion of that liberty that you have. When it comes to alcohol at this church, we've chosen, leadership has chosen to abstain from alcohol because we minister to men and women who are coming out of addiction, So we give up that liberty because it's more important to us to minister to people who are coming out of addiction. And what would they think if they see the pastor drinking a beer? They think, you know what, if the pastor can drink a beer, I can drink a beer. I can do it in control. And then they're right back in the pit that they started in. Now, is drinking wrong? No, the Bible says being drunk is wrong. But we choose as leadership to give up that liberty because we want to reach people with the gospel. We don't want to stumble our brother or our sister. You understand? In 1 Corinthians, they were also having a trouble. They were suing one another. They were suing one another. And this is what Paul says to him. He says, you know what? You guys should just allow yourselves to be wronged rather than to sue your brother or your sister. You're making a mockery of the kingdom. You're not being a good testimony. You should just let yourself be wrong. You should give up a portion of yourself. Now, here's the thing the Bible speaks and teaches in paradoxes. The scripture says that the greatest is the one who serves the most. Have you read that? The Bible doesn't say the greatest is the one who has the most servants, the greatest is the one who serves the most people. The scripture says that the first will be last, but the last. Will be first. Right? There's nothing wrong with wanting to do well and wanting to be successful and being driven to succeed. But why are you doing it? What's your motivation? Is your motivation to bring God glory or is your motivation to have another car in the garage? Giving up a portion of yourself so that you can see the kingdom advance. This is what Jesus' sacrifice challenges me to do on a daily basis challenges me to do every day. Not only are we to give up or lay down or surrender some of our rights, we're to surrender or lay down some of our desires. Some of our desires. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. To not be selfish To not be conceited, the word means to brag or to boast, but to have a lowly, humble, a sense of humility in your life that you esteem others as greater than yourself, that you regard them or consider them and their needs more important than your own. To give up some of your own desires, to lay them down so that you can be a blessing to those around you. To think of yourself second and to think of others first. What would the world look like if we all esteemed others' needs as greater than our own? What would the world look like if we all had the mindset of humility, not a mindset that we were bragging or conceited and treating one another with conceit? Would would we have the issues that we're having politically today if we all put other people's needs above our own? If we all thought about other people first, what, what would happen if we started treating people with dignity and humility? This is what jesus's sacrifice calls me to do to lay down a portion of my own desires we see jesus at one point in time in the gospels it says that he sets his eyes steadfastly on jerusalem he sets his eyes steadfastly his face is like flint set to go to that place where he knows he will give his life that isn't his desire that's not what he wants But that's what's needed for all of us. And so he sets his mind and he will not be deterred. He has laser focus on going to the cross. At another point in time in scripture, in in John chapter 4, it says that he needed to go through the area of Samaria. Now, for a Jew to go through a Samaritan village was taboo. They wouldn't find themselves there for anything. They would go around Samaria whenever possible. But the scripture says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria because he had an appointment with a woman at the well. And when he shared with the woman at the well, she went back and she shared with everyone else what he had said. And revival took place in Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. It wasn't about him. It was what God was calling him to do. It was what God had ordained him to do. And so he set his face to do it and he would not be detoured. What would the world look like if we all had the same heart that Jesus has when he says, I'm not going to think of myself in this situation, but I'm going to think about the good that I can do if I minister and if I serve these people. I'm called to lay down my rights. I'm called to lay down, surrender my desires. And I'm also called to lay down or surrender my life. Just like Jesus lays down and he surrenders his life upon the cross, I'm called to lay down my life for the gospel. Listen to what Romans chapter 12 says. It says, I beseech you. I, literally, I beg you. I am pleading with you. I am pleading with you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The word to present, I'm begging you to present your body as a living sacrifice. The word literally means to lay down or to surrender. Paul says, I'm pleading with you to surrender even your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. A living sacrifice, a walking, breathing sacrifice, one that is slain. Every single one of us in this room have an altar. And every single one of us has the choice, a decision to make every day whether or not we're going to bring ourselves to that altar and lay ourselves upon that altar all over again for this day. And we say, Lord, I'm going to die to my needs. I'm going to die to my desires. I'm going to die to my rights. And I'm going to lay my life down upon this altar because you and you alone are worthy of this life. And whatever it is you're calling me to do this day, Lord, I surrender myself to you and to your plan and to your purpose because you are God and I am not. When was the last time you laid yourself upon that altar? Because the frequency that you lay yourself upon that altar communicates clearly to God how worthy you deem him to be of your sacrifice. Paul says to the Romans, I'm begging you to lay down your life, to lay down your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is acceptable. The word means pleasing or pleasant, that it's pleasing to God when he sees us, when he sees all of us as his children coming and laying our bodies upon the altar saying, God, I belong to you, and I'm yours to do with as you please. It says it's a reasonable service. It's suitable. It's essential. It's genuine, the word means. This is my essential duty is to offer my body as a living sacrifice to you. Just as you offered up your body, Jesus, upon the cross of Calvary, here is my altar, and at this altar, I will gladly, freely give you my life in return. Is he or is he not worthy of that sacrifice? It's our reasonable service. Paul wrote to the Galatian church in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Have you reckoned yourself dead to this world? That I no longer live. It's not about me anymore. It's not about my wants and my needs and my desires and my happiness in life. But now this life that I live, I live to the glory of God. It's Jesus who's living in me and through me. And all I want is God's glory to lay down your life and surrender like that Colossians chapter three, Paul says that we should put off the old man to unclothe ourselves, to lay down the old man, to lay down that dead old man and to put on the new man who's renewed in the knowledge of holy things. Have you, have you read this to put off the old man and to put on the new man to lay down or surrender the old life, the old desires the old wants and needs, and to put on the new man that's focused on eternity. Worship, sacrifice, it's costly. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, we read of David making another mistake. He decides that in his pride, he wants to count his kingdom before he passes on. So he takes a census of all of the kingdom He counts every single person, and it grieves God's heart because it wasn't what God had called him to do. And so because of it, he says, you're going to have to offer a sacrifice. God says, you need to offer a sacrifice or your people will suffer because of it. And so he goes to Arwana, and he says, I need this threshing floor. I need your land so that I can offer up a sacrifice. And listen to what it says in 2 Samuel 24, 24. He goes to Arwana and he says, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. David says this, I will buy this land for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord God, that which costs me nothing. Arwana says, you know what, you're the king, the people are going to suffer, I'm going to give you the land for free. David says, no, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Sacrifice, true genuine sacrifice that is birthed from love will always cost something and that cost is surrender think about it when was the last time you communicated your love to god through what you were willing to give for him so sacrifice is costly but sacrifice is also painful have any of you ever felt or experienced this do you know this to be true Why is sacrifice painful? Sacrifice is painful because sacrifice involves suffering. And if you want to tonight, go home and read this, Psalm chapter 22. Read Psalm chapter 22. Read Isaiah 53 where you can read about these texts from the Old Testament that foretell of the suffering of Jesus. Jesus suffered physically for us. He was spit upon, he was beaten, he was blindfolded, he was whipped, his beard was plucked, a crown of thorns thrust upon his brow, he was pierced, the scripture says, for our transgressions. And he was suffocated upon a cross. His sacrifice was painful, his sacrifice cost him something, but it wasn't just the pain that he felt physically. Jesus suffered He suffered in the garden. Do you remember in the garden of Gethsemane, he's praying, God, please let there be some other way for these people to be saved. Let this cup, the cup of your wrath, this cup of suffering, let it be taken from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he begins to sweat drops of blood as emotionally he's being destroyed thinking about the cup that he was going to have to drink. And he cracks under the pressure and he sweats drops of blood. Of blood. Do you remember him on the cross? Some of his last words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Why, why can I no longer sense and know your presence? As God looks away from Jesus, as he becomes sin for us upon the cross, he feels a separation like he's never felt before, and he suffers emotionally. Sacrifice will involve suffering, and Jesus' sacrifice challenges me to be willing to suffer socially in pursuit of Jesus. Again, let me ask you the question, is there anything that is too big or too great a sacrifice that you're not willing to lay down in pursuit of God? Because if it is, if there is, it has a name, and its name is idolatry. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, I came not to bring peace, but I came with the sword. And he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Are you willing to give up some of those relationships, some of those comfortable relationships that you've known and had forever because God is calling you to holiness? Because God is calling you away and calling you into his presence. Those people who will scorn you, who will laugh at you, who will think that you're wasting your life in pursuing Jesus. Will you say, I'm going to have to give those relationships up because Jesus is more important to me? What is too big for you to sacrifice? So his sacrifice challenges me to suffer socially. It also challenges me to suffer emotionally. Just like Jesus In the garden, just like Jesus upon the cross. The scripture says in Philippians chapter 3, one of my favorite texts. This is what it says. It says, but what things were gained to me, I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I count all things as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith. Listen, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul says, this is now my aim. The things that I used to pursue, the things that I used to chase after in life are no more. Now my one passion, my one desire, my one pursuit is that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, the word fellowship there means intimacy. It means a closeness. It means to partake together. Paul is saying, I want to be closer. I want to be more intimate with Jesus as I suffer with him in this life. That's my one pursuit. That's the only thing that I'm pursuing after. First Peter, First Peter. Peter wrote this to those who would listen. He said, when you do good, 1 Peter chapter 2, when you do good and you suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable for before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. That Jesus left us an example of suffering, of what it looks like to suffer, and that we should follow in his footsteps, that we should suffer on his behalf, to be willing to suffer socially, to be willing to suffer emotionally, but also to be willing to suffer physically. Now, this doesn't happen in the American church today, but do you realize that almost every single one of the apostles, with the exception of John, died a martyr's death? If you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll see that the apostles were sawn asunder from top to bottom, that they were crucified upside down, That they were thrown off of of cliffs and then stoned and beaten with rocks and with rods. That they were skinned alive and then crucified. That they, even John, John, though he didn't die, he was put into a vat of boiling oil because they thought it would be funny to watch him scream. These men suffered physically for their faith in Jesus Why? Because they knew Jesus intimately. They walked this world with Jesus. And as they walked this life with Jesus, they found him to be worthy of whatever sacrifice they were being called to give. How well do you know Jesus this morning? Because the extent to which you're willing to suffer on his behalf, to sacrifice on his behalf, that will really show you how well you know Jesus this morning. Because if you knew Jesus like these apostles, the apostles who suffered and died for him knew Jesus, you'd be willing to give your all as well. So sacrifice, it's costly. We can all see that. We know that to be true. Sacrifice is painful. But finally, sacrifice is also rewarding. Only Through godly sacrifice are you able to find true satisfaction. Only sacrifice is truly satisfying. Jesus said of himself when he was speaking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into glory? And Jesus' sacrifice challenges me to live for a greater present reward than what I have in my bank account or in my driveway or in my backyard. Jesus' sacrifice challenges me to live for a greater reward. When Jesus was on the cross and he cries out to tell us that it is finished, and he gives up his spirit, and the globe, everything becomes blackened. The sky is black, the earth shakes, the veil in the temple is torn top to bottom, graves are opened. This amazing thing happens when Jesus gives his spirit and he completes the sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And the Roman centurion that was standing at the foot of the cross, he looks at what has just happened. He sees Jesus, his suffering, and how he suffered well to the very end. And his remark, his confession is this. Truly, this was the Son of God. Are you willing for your sacrifice and your suffering to lead others into the presence of Jesus? Do you realize that your hardship And your heartache and your trial and your tribulation might be the exact thing that is needed to lead someone that you love into the presence of the Lord. As you allow yourself to suffer, to sacrifice, to give a portion of yourself so that they can see how a true believer responds even through adversity. Jesus is on that cross and the centurion gets saved. People begin to get saved in the book of Acts. The disciples are beaten for preaching the gospel. They walk out and they say that they were rejoicing. They're singing hymns and songs. They're rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. But after that, it says at that point in time, as they were rejoicing in the midst of their suffering, that many people began to be added to the Lord daily. The church was multiplying and growing because the church was suffering well. The church was about a bigger, a greater reward than what they had in their own personal life. So Jesus' sacrifice challenges me to suffer for a greater present reward, but it also challenges me to live for the promise of a future reward. No matter how good or how bad your situation is this morning, this is temporary, and heaven is right around the corner. And that's what we have to be living for. In Colossians chapter three, it says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of this earth. Don't be distracted by worldliness. Don't be distracted by worldly riches and wealth. Set your mind on heaven. Set your mind on things above. In Romans chapter eight, this is what Paul wrote. He says, for I consider... That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That when I put these things on a scale, my suffering now isn't worthy to be compared to the glory that I will receive when I enter into the presence of my King. So what is there in your life that you're holding on to, that you're not willing to lay down and sacrifice in your pursuit of God? And if there is anything in your life, you need to ask yourself, why does this hold my heart so? Listen to this text from Luke chapter 18. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. That's what we're moving towards. It says if you're willing to leave, the word means to let go of, to release, to surrender. When you surrender these things, and I see you surrender these things, you have to know and you have to understand that there's something so much better waiting for you in my presence.